When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the nicest kids in town. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, at long last, we are talking about 2007's Hairspray. And I'm Motormouth Maybell, pitching rhythm your way. Dancing on that show is my dream. <laughs> Want to be one of the nicest kids in town? Cut school tomorrow and come to audition. No one in this house is auditioning for anything. But Mom! Uh, Amber? Save your personal life for the camera, sweetie. Oh, shine. Audrey, there's something special about this episode today. Would you care to share what it is? Yes, so as I was logging my letterboxed um, films that I've watched recently, which I always do, um, I was logging Hairspray and I found out that this is the 50th movie that we're covering. It is exciting and a deserving honor because we've wanted to talk about this movie for a really, really, really long time, but, you know, didn't want to didn't want to do it prematurely. So the grand finale of our season three uh season 3.5 musical mini season seemed like a good time to talk about hairspray don't you think yes very much so the best time <laughs> are you ready to get into the facts never been more ready in my entire life <laughs> okay <laughs> so hairspray was released on July 20th 2007 End of cancer season. Great time for this movie to come out. Uh, and it was directed by Adam Shankman. Well, this man is uh, has directed a lot of things that are very relevant to us. So first of all, uh, he is directing Hocus Pocus 2. Oh, no, no, no. He's executive producing Hocus Pocus 2. He was a producer of the movie adaptation of Rock of Ages. He was the <laughs> producer of 17 again and also The Last Song and Cheaper by the Dozen 2. And even more relevant are the things he's directed. So he directed one episode of AJ and the Queen, which is funny. Um, <laughs> he's directing Disenchanted. He directed the Rock of Ages movie also, which makes sense. And he directed A Walk to Remember, a movie I have not seen and know that I should because it's relevant to us. Yes, very much so. Yes. Um, the movie was produced by... Two individuals, which if you've been listening to this season, you're very familiar with these men at this point. Craig Zadan and Neil Moran. Uh, they have directed basically every 
or produced every musical that we've talked about so far. So we owe these men our lives, to be honest. Hopefully they don't suck. (laughs) They might suck, but I have you heard anything about them sucking? No. Okay, good. I hope they don't suck. I really, really do. The screenplay for Hairspray was written by Leslie Dixon, who uh, wrote the screenplay for Mrs. Doubtfire, The Heartbreak Kid, and Phil and Z. Lohan Freaky Friday. Leslie is a woman. I did check. And she also was the executive producer of Limitless. I like how I just made it sound like being a woman was one of her credits, but (laughs) she is a woman. (laughs) Um, And so, okay, there's a lot of layers of IP that go along with this movie. So Leslie wrote the screenplay, but Leslie adapted the screenplay from the Broadway musical Hairspray, written by Mark O'Donnell and Thomas Meehan. Uh, This musical is like, very ubiquitous. It ran on Broadway from 2003 to 2009. It won a bunch of Tonys. Uh, It's very well known. But that musical was an adaptation of the John Waters movie Hairspray, which is, I believe, John Waters's like only PG rated movie. And for those who don't know who John Waters is, he's like an icon. He's an iconic film director known primarily for his collaborations with Divine. Um, But some of his more famous movies are Crybaby, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, Polyester, and Hairspray, of course. Um, And he even makes a cameo appearance in the version of Hairspray we're talking about today as the flasher in the very beginning. Uh, Why did I not realize that? I don't know. That's him, though. Yeah, he's so specific looking. (laughs) Probably because you saw him do that so many times before you knew who he was. Yeah. That's what I would guess, at least. It's cool that they included him, though. I agree. He was actually a producer for this movie. He was very involved in this movie. So oh, good. I don't I don't think that he has any beef with the like um sugar coatedness of all the adaptations cuz I'm sure he's making a ton of money from it on top mm-hmm. of it all. So John Waters gets his flowers. Audrey, do you want to read this plot synopsis? Yes. So, the plot synopsis for Hairspray. Pleasantly plump teenager Tracy Turnblad teaches 1962 Baltimore a thing or two about integration after landing a spot on a local TV dance show. (laughs) (laughs) An interesting description. They make it sound like she's like giving them all a lecture. No, she's not. I know. I thought that was funny. Um, And then as for taglines. There's um, a lot. (laughs) Jeez, what? What is this, like, 10? <laughs> there's a lot of them. What the hell? Okay, there's a ton of them. I'm going I'm to rattle them off. Who's who behind the do? Get ready for something big, July 20th. You can't stop the beat, dot, 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 July 2007. This summer, when you follow your own beat, there is no limit to how far you can go. <laughs> it was a time of tradition, a time of values, and a time... Dot, 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 to shake things up. In July 2007, are you ready for something big? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Remember when a movie can, what? Remember when a movie could make you dream, make you dance, and make you feel on top of the world? When you follow your own beat, the world will follow you. On July 20th, the summer blockbuster is getting a whole new look. 
For anyone who wanted something bigger, there comes a time to break all the rules. <laughs> Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There were 11 taglines. I doubt that all of those were legitimate options, but I just wanted to give you something uh, challenging. So there's all 11. (laughs) Okay. Wow. So this cast is really big and really full of relevant people. So what I'm going to do is uh, just read the cast list in billing order. And I just chose the movies they're best known for from their IMDb pages because I didn't want us to get stuck talking about this forever. So here we go. This is the cast in credits order. And you will see how shady this credit order is as I'm going through it based off of screen time and amount that they're actually in the movie versus where they rank. First up, we have John Travolta in drag, if you could call it that. To me, it's more just costume. Uh, as Edna Turnblad, this was the role that was originated by Divine in the 80s. Um, and I'm pretty sure played by Harvey Firestein on Broadway, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he's best known for his roles in Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, Grease, and Saturday Night Fever. Truly just a meatball sub of a man and America loves him. Next up, we have Michelle Pfeiffer as Velma Von Tussle. She's best known for What Lies Beneath, Hairspray, One Fine Day, and The Fabulous Baker Boys. And she is really evil in this movie. Next up, we have Christopher Walken as Wilbur Turnblad. He is best known for The Deer Hunter, Catch Me If You Can, and The Prophecy. And I do not know a single one of those movies, and I thought that was funny. Next up, we have Amanda Bynes. We know who she is. Uh, She plays Penny Pingleton in this movie, and she's best known for She's the Man, What a Girl Wants, Easy A, Sydney White and the Amanda Show, and, of course, Wanting Drake to Murder Her Vagina. Next up, we have James Marston as Corny Collins, one of our favorite men on this earth. He's best known for X-Men, 27 Dresses, Enchanted, Hairspray, obviously, and The Notebook. Do you have anything to say about him, Audrey? No. <laughs> okay, just we approve, as always. Yes. Um, okay. And then next up, we have Queen Latifah as Motormouth Maybell. We literally were just talking about her last episode, but she's best known for Chicago, Hairspray, Taxi, Beauty Shop, Living Single, and she was in, like, a weirdly large amount of kids stuff from when we were kids. So mm-hmm. it's, like, Ice Age 2 and shit, but, like, I don't need to go into that. Then we have Brittany Snow as Amber Von Tussle, best known for Pitch Perfect 1 and 2 in the movie Prom Night. I don't really know shit about her, but she is a significant character in this movie. Next up, we have Zac Efron as Link Larkin at truly peak cuteness, peak teen cuteness. Uh, Obviously, we know him from High School Musical 17 again, The Greatest Showman, which I still haven't seen, and Charlie St. Cloud. Here's the thing. I always feel bad shitting on that movie because um, I have a lot of friends that really like it. I'm sorry, friends. It is just (laughs) not good. So sorry. (laughs) All right. You can take you can take the fall instead of me. Yeah, I will fall on that sword. I don't Um, shit on people. I don't I'm not mad that anybody likes it. It's just that (laughs) I cannot be expected to like it. Um, and, And that's that's that. That's okay. It's okay that you don't like it. I probably would feel the same way. 
Okay, next up we have Elijah Kelly as Seaweed, truly one of the hottest men ever to be seen in a movie. Um, He is best known for 28 Days, Strange Magic, and Lee Daniels, the butler. His hair is immaculate in this movie, and I love him. Next up we have Allison Janney (laughs) as Prudy Pingleton, the mom of all moms, and she's best known at least to us for her roles in Juno, The Help, The Hours, not breaking news in Yuba County, but just that's relevant somewhat. It's on planes now, guys. All right, there you go. Uh, <laughs> and apparently she's on screen for less than three minutes of this entire movie. But that does not matter. Well, it matters, but it it still wasn't enough for Nikki Blonsky, to, who is literally Tracy, to be billed above her. So um, Nikki Blonsky is best known for Hairspray. She was also in the show called Huge, which was an ABC family series about fat camp. She was also in a show called Geography Club, but I feel like she's primarily known for being weird online, or just not even weird online, for being very specific online. (laughs) Audrey, what is your, uh, are you able to share your saga with Nikki Blonsky? Yeah, I think so, right? <laughs> okay, I think so. Yeah. So basically, I've always thought that the world really needs a documentary about Nikki Blonsky because we do. They like, do. Yeah. <laughs> and so like sophomore year of college, I was in this documentary class that required, I think it was like for my final or something. And you were supposed to like f- find a subject that you really care about. Like you really want to do a good job on a short about the subject. So I was like cold emailing Nikki's agent at the time (laughs) and actually got a response. And then there was supposed to be like a call. And this was when I was like 19, (laughs) (laughs) which is so funny. Um, There was supposed to be a call and I I waited for it. And then I like followed up when the call was supposed to happen. And the agent was like, never mind. Nikki does not have time for this. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) So, and then um, like right before COVID started, literally, or actually I think it was like even, it was like roughly when COVID started, I had the bright idea to buy a cameo from Nikki Blonsky and like repitch the idea. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, since I bought her time, literally, she like had to respond to me. (laughs) What did she say? Audrey, hi, it's Nikki Blonsky. How are you? So, um... You want to know pep talk about the coronavirus? Okay, girl, this is how it's got to go. You got to bunker down. You got to hang in there. You got to do you, take care of you, take care of yours, your family, make sure everybody's happy, healthy, fed, clothes, clean, and just keep it moving, sis. Don't worry about, you know, I mean, that's the only thing you can do. You can't worry about things you can't control right now. We can't control the coronavirus, but we could do everything to take precautions. So step it up. Everybody take precautions. Um, Distance yourself. Don't be on top of people. And just be kind to yourself in these rough times and to each other. All right, hang in there. And yes, I love that you're finishing your first documentary. So yes, DM me. Be well. But yeah, like, I kid you not, like, nothing but love and respect for Nikki Blonsky and 
people deserve. I think we all would love that, right? We all would love to see the nuance of her life. Like, who doesn't want that? Fully agreed. And when I was reading all of the reviews of Hairspray, like in preparation for this, people kept talking about how she is such a star and like deserves her flowers so much, but has clearly not been in a lot of big things since she was in Hairspray, Um, which is sad because she is really good. And she came out as gay not that long ago. So she's gay on top of it all. Who doesn't love that? She's got a great TikTok. Go on her TikTok. (laughs) I know. I get notifications all the time that's like, Nikki Blonsky invites you to join her live. And sometimes I do just to see what she's up to, you know? Yeah. Okay. So there's just two more people. Little footnotes. Next up, we have Taylor Parks as Little Inez. And this is like Taylor Parks of Ariana Grande adjacency. She's also apparently my friend Ayana's cousin, which I find to be very funny. Um, and then last but not least, we have Mr. Pinky. But he, so I didn't know this, but in the original Hairspray, he played Wilbur. So cameo casting with Mr. Pinky. Mr. Pinky might be my favorite in this whole movie, to be honest. So <laughs> when he's like, I'm Mr. Pinky, it's my favorite part. Numbers time. All right. So the budget for Hairspray was $75 million. The box office opening weekend made $27,800,000, which is the best opening weekend for a musical ever up until that point. So, wow, that's awesome. It was beaten by uh, Mamma Mia in 2008, just one year later, which sucks. Damn. Yeah. They held it for a few months. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the overall worldwide gross is $203,552,922. So, yeah, they're not hurting, obviously. (laughs) And then as far as critic scores and opinions, it has a 91% critic (laughs) score on Rotten Tomatoes. I know. (laughs) That's crazy. I know. Critic consensus, Hairspray is an energetic, Hairspray is an energetic, wholly entertaining musical romp, a fun summer movie with plenty of heart. Its contagious songs will make you want to get up and start dancing. Yay. I mean, it's, is that kind of, it's hard with Hairspray because there's such relevant social topics and political topics in it, but you can just like ignore all of that if you will, if you want to. Yes. Um, As a critic, like that's interesting. And then the critical takes. This film leaps at you with such joy and vigor and generosity, you cannot reject it. Somebody else says, I actually can't remember the last time a movie opening made me so cheerful. (laughs) And then the third one is, Waters cultists have ample reason to be wary, but the film retains a surprisingly subversive edge that undercuts its blinding surface gloss. I agree, personally. Um, And then the audience score is 84%. So very, very favorable spread between the critic and audience score, I have to say. And when I was looking through the reviews, it was very much the same situation it always is, which is people loving it and then people saying, I don't like musicals. Yeah. So these are just three audience reviews that I thought were really funny. The first one is, John Travolta as a wife? That's hilarious. A wife, specifically. Uh, And then we have, it's the only movie that Christopher Walken actually does right, which 
I don't, I can't agree or disagree because I haven't seen him in anything else, but I love him in this movie and he does it extremely right. So I do agree yeah. about that part. And then last but not least, this guy, his name was James Z on Rotten Tomatoes said this. Tireless musical mixes addictive songs and convivially interesting personages, but appeals to modern sensibilities to importune the past often makes hairspray a propaganda exercise rather than an impassioned search for tolerance. <laughs> Which like, oh, what the hell? That, those are not words. That's not a sentence, but he really wanted to feel intelligent. And I uh, just had to, I had to share that with you guys. Importune <laughs> was used unironically, so I had to do it. So obviously it's, it's uh, extremely close to the High School Musical 2 era. Zac Efron did not go on the High School Musical tour because he was filming Hairspray and also probably because Drew actually sang all the songs. <laughs> A combination of the two. Correct. But yeah, I feel like culturally, I like I'm going to post this on our Instagram, but I found this um, Today Show interview that had like Elijah, Amanda, Nikki and Zach. And wow. they're all standing there. And Matt Lauer, lol. Um, yeah. He asks Zach specifically, like, what has it been like for you to, like, do all these musicals and, like, High School Musical 2 is about to come out. And Zach is just so clearly uncomfortable about it. Like, he just did not want to be the musical man. I, You know he really? did Yeah, like, he, he did not want to be the musical man. But I also get this vibe of, like he feels really uncomfortable in the spotlight and he, and like he's there promoting this movie with three other people and they're focusing on him too much. And he knows that. And you can tell that it makes him uncomfortable. Oh my God. Uh, that is really interesting. And it's also interesting when you think about him now, because all the stuff he's doing is like kind of weird reality adventure guy shows. Yeah. Which apparently this show just got announced called Killing Zac Efron, and it's just him doing really hard expeditions. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Things we remember about this movie from childhood. Audrey, what do you have? Well, it was a minivan movie. I, it was. Yeah, like it became one or it was one. I don't think it was there from the beginning, but it was mm -hmm. there at some point. Mm -hmm. And so we did watch it a lot. And I, you know, I, I'm sure you you would probably talk about this too. But like being just like extremely white girls growing up <laughs> in Silver Lake, Ohio, which is also really white. I don't know that my, I don't, like, my child brain just sheltered white girl vibes, so I don't think my childhood brain could fully, it couldn't understand the parts of Hairspray that came from true experience and the parts that came from a campy musical. Like, I, I didn't know there were source texts, like, I didn't know, like, what any of this came from. So I think I was just kind of confused about like the line between reality and, mm -hmm. and fiction. Well, I, I wrote a note about this in my notes for the movie, but like, especially for us, I feel like there were particular media experiences that like taught us what racism was. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's a yikes. 
I mean, it is. Well, it, it is. I mean, partially. it is a yikes, but I mean, but it's just true. Yeah. But it is. I mean, it is a yikes for obvious reasons. It, it means that oh. you are not exposed to people unlike yourself as a child. Yes. Well, our childhood was very, 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 very white, except for our one year stint in Boston where like it was really international. But I don't think there were many like black Americans. There were like some African people, like international people, but not a lot of black Americans from what I can remember. And we were in Boston. I know, I think I've mentioned this like once before, but it was like a long time ago, I think. And it was, our dad was in grad school at MIT. And so it was like a program with a big international draw. So we met people from other countries, but not necessarily a lot of different cultures from within the U.S. as it was at the time. Anything else about this movie from childhood, Audrey? No, I think I just loved it. I just loved it fully and like was never bored watching it. Like there's really hardly any slow points. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just a banger. (laughs) Okay. So I have a lot, but I have some that are kind of, well, they're very cringy. My most shameful confession is that I just 100% saying I know where I've been for a show choir audition one time and it was not in good taste but I did do it because it was the like one of the only alto musical theater songs I knew and so I did that and thankfully very few people saw it but it did happen so there's some growth I was 14. That's just reflective of what I already described about like just being culturally like not ignorant in a way of like we were ever openly hateful nothing like that it's just ignorance like not having the world experience to see why that would be a cringy thing to do and yeah times were just it was just different I don't know times were different in 2009 let me just say yeah and and that is Like, I've seen a lot of TikToks of, like, white, like, a bunch of white people doing, like, In the Heights or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It is so funny and just, like, the best cringe content you could ask for. Yeah. Like, at some point, I guess we can only assume that there will be uncomfortably white productions of Hamilton which adds mm-hmm. a whole other layer of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we all have that look. We all have that to look forward to. <laughs> yep. Yes, we do. Okay, so you can go watch Hairspray on Netflix. It's very easy. But regarding our lack of knowledge on some subjects or just us being white girls, we are going to pull in a couple guests in the second half, just kind of sharing their thoughts on Hairspray in terms of like representation and how it's aged. Um, So you can look forward to that in the second half as well. Um, But yeah, go watch the movie and we will meet you back here. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, 
And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so here today is my new friend, Abby, the host of More Than Tracy T. Can you explain a little bit about what your podcast is? Yeah, so my podcast is all about fat representation and body size diversity in the entertainment industry. So the reason that it's called More Than Tracy T is because I am a plus size actor and I've been told my whole life that I should play Tracy Turnblad and I never get told I'd be good at playing much else that's age appropriate because I'm in my 20s. And um, oh my goodness, it started to really like Tracy Turnblad was like this black cloud hovering over me at one point. (laughs) And I was like, this is, I can do more than this. Like this is not all that I am. Mm -hmm. Um, Hence the title more than Tracy Turnblad. You know, I'm a white person. I'm a woman. I've had those experiences, but I don't know what it's like to exist in a fat body outside of that. So I really wanted to get as many perspectives as possible on the podcast. So it became an interview podcast. And every week I talk to a different um, fat person or person with a perspective on fat phobia in the entertainment industry. Do you remember the first time you watched or saw Hairspray and what your first impression was? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was probably 10 years old, like sort of knew I was fat, but wasn't ready to like confront that. Mm-hmm. Like I was just trying not to think about it. Um, I, I like really suddenly got fat when I was about 10. I think it was probably puberty yeah. in hindsight, like looking at the pictures. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I just hit puberty. Um, but at the time I like had no idea what was going on and it was like really scary. Um, but anyway, this movie was the first time I ever saw a fat person. And I remember like a fat person as a lead on screen, having any meaningful story. And Mm -hmm. I was in my parents' basement, and I got the DVD, already obsessed with, like, Fiddle on the Roof and Phantom (laughs) of the Opera and Sound of Music and stuff. So um, it it was logical, and the movie was coming out, and... I have, I'm surprised that my parents bought me something that was, like, new, and I watched it probably, like, every day, or at least very often. It was added to our regular rotation Mm -hmm. of movies, many of which have been discussed on this podcast. (laughs) I was, um, I just absolutely love this genre. This was, Mm -hmm. like, literally the only movies that I had seen before, like, college. Literally me too. Same. (laughs) So, when you were watching it when you were a little kid, what do you think it specifically was about it that made you want to watch it over and over again? Well, like a big part of it was that I'd never seen a fat person as a lead, although pretty quickly I started to be like, oh, okay, so all I can be is Tracy or Edna. God forbid. I was terrified that I was more like Edna than Tracy, Mm, um, which is like, yeah, Yeah. it's it's like kind of a a gender thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it was challenging to my femininity to see one of the only two fat characters on Mm -hmm. screen being played by a man in a fat suit. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although in hindsight, I do really love what he did with the character. That aspect of it. And like I had danced when I was a little kid and quit ballet and 
um, was scared to get back into dance now that I had like gained so much weight. So this movie was really helpful for that as well and like was a big motivating factor for me to like get back to dancing um, because I was like, well, if I'm going to play Tracy, I got to be able to dance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then like I danced all through high school and obviously I went to a like a BFA musical theater program. So in college and like dance has always been a really positive thing for me and and um, I, I don't think I should discount this movie's role in that. When I just rewatched it, because I always rewatch before we do the episodes, obviously, I was like, I went into it being like, okay, John Travolta definitely makes me uncomfortable in this movie. But then I watched it again and I was like, this is actually a very loving portrayal of this character. And, yeah. and, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot in the text that like almost doesn't hit right because he's not making her the butt of a joke you know what I'm saying so fair like timeless to me is a little weird because it's like he's he's like actually embodying the whole character without any sense of like but I'm a man like wink wink nudge nudge like you know what I'm saying Yeah, that's yeah. so true. And I think that, like, also, like, you can't stop my knife and fork when I see a Christmas ham. Like, all that's yeah. all the jokes about her eating. Yeah. Which actually a lot, I think, are cut out of the movie and are only in... Mm-hmm. Um, are only in the musical. Yeah. But, um, and that's that's the one place where I think Hairspray does fail in its representation of fat people. Mm-hmm. Is, like, they did not take... If Edna has, like, a binge eating disorder, they did not yeah. take that seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if she's just obsessed with food and they made fun of that, like, equally fatphobic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that. I mean, maybe that's nitpicky because I do love John Travolta's portrayal. Like, he played it straight and yeah. <laughs> no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree with you, but... I also really needed to see your Timeless to Me played straight oh, when I was yes, a same. kid. Like, I needed that. Totally and, same, yeah. You know, you were expecting the whole movie, like, the first time you watch it, you're expecting, like, okay, there's no way the husband really likes her. Like, I remember thinking mm-hmm. that um, she was absolutely going to get seduced away uh-huh. by Velma, and or, or Christopher Walken was, mm-hmm. and he didn't. And yeah. that was shocking to me. Like, yeah. to, it was also probably the first time I'd ever seen a... A, a husband on TV who didn't want to cheat on his wife. Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. Hashtag goals. Yeah, right. I do not support fat suits. I think they're terrible. Mm-hmm. I also think a lot of musical theater drag is like super transphobic mm-hmm. and misogynistic and like is just terrible to many marginalized people. Mm-hmm. But the way that John Travolta played it in Hairspray almost redeems it for me, at least in that one case, mm-hmm. because he did it so sensitively and taking the character so seriously and refusing to point and laugh at her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like, if you're going to do a fat suit, this is how you need to do it. Totally. Um, still don't, but, like... Yeah. So one thing that Audrey and I were talking about a little bit is the relationship between sizeism and racism in Hairspray. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what your take is on, like, the kind of semi-equivalency that's drawn there. Oh, interesting. I don't think of it as equivalency. Mm -hmm. I think of Hairspray as a journey of Tracy waking up and realizing that her own oppression, like, she sort of realizes her white privilege Mm -hmm. and that she can put herself aside to fight for more marginalized people. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I understand the criticism that people say Hairspray is a white savior movie. But I have never... um, really thought of it as drawing a direct equivalency because I think there is like a storyline of Tracy very much acknowledging like no I need to sort of pass the mic 
mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why she doesn't have the 11 o'clock number Motormouth Mabel does. Right. That's true. That's a good point. So obviously, Nikki Blonsky has gone on to live in varying levels of internet infamy over the past <laughs> two <laughs> years. Um, and I'm wondering what your take is on why she's stuck in this purgatory that she's in. Honestly, it's heartbreaking. Like, yeah, she's so good in hairspray. She's so yeah. talented. Give her more to do. Yeah. But I think it's that thing of like <laughs> to get like. Oh, it's like that sort of psychological phenomenon of mm-hmm. like when somebody wants something too much, it turns yeah. us off. Yeah. Um. So I feel like that's kind of what's going on with her. And like yeah. it must be super frustrating to like have this one movie where you genuinely were great. Mm-hmm. Like I like I rewatched part of the movie before this this recording. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, she's so good. Like she's so right for this part and she yeah. does such a good job in this movie. Yeah. Tracy has been a super like persona and career defining role for Nikki. And why yeah. do you what do you think about that? You know, I think it speaks to how few fat characters we have available for people to play. And I think that to punish Nikki Blonsky for n- not booking more Mm -hmm. and for wanting to book more is like very very gross and ignores like Hollywood's very real problem of fat phobia Mm -hmm. and like look at the next role she played was about fat camp like right especially in the time Hairspray was released in like 2007 like there were so much there was so much less representation of fat people in Hollywood and particularly less good representation Mm -hmm. of fat people in Hollywood. And, you know, I think she could play any role Beanie Feldstein has ever done. Uh I really do. Yeah. (laughs) And I I love them both. Yeah. But I I feel really sorry for her. Like, I think she's still really talented. And I hope. Yeah. The thing you said about, like, the earnestness and, like, the hyper wanting Mm -hmm. it, like, Beanie comes from this Hollywood family and kind of has a cool girl thing, even though she's a bigger person. Whereas it's like, it's like they're um, like two sides of the same coin in terms of attitude, but like the material is kind of the same. That's interesting to think about. Right. It's like their, their, their castable type is very similar. So when I was rewatching the movie, I really was kind of ashamed that I had this reaction, but, like, the last shot of the movie being Zac Efron making out with with Nikki really felt, like, so radical to me even yeah. now. And I'm yeah. wondering if you have a similar reaction when you see it. Mm. Or, like, how has that evolved over time? That's an interesting question. Um, Today, I don't think I would have such an extreme reaction, mm-hmm. although I definitely will say when I see... Sometimes when I see, like, social media posts of couples where, like, especially if it's, like, a fat girl and a thin guy, sometimes there's a part of my brain that's like, what? Mm -hmm. Um, To this day, it's getting a lot better as I get more exposure to it. Mm -hmm. Watching Drop Dead Diva and um, (laughs) My Mad Fat Diary definitely helped. But I think the first time I saw it, I was, like, probably blown away because I do I really strongly remember the part where he says Tracy I'm in love with you no matter what you weigh yeah which as a kid I had never like I was like wait what like, like that I can just, happen <laughs> that yeah this was the first movie that I ever saw like a fat person in any relationship let alone with like this conventionally attractive like 
you know, star, like TV star. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I think I just dismissed it as like, well, that would never really happen. It's a fantasy. Yeah, right. Like I didn't, it didn't change my (laughs) concept of love or whether that was available to me or other fat people. Mm -hmm. It just was like, wow. Yeah. Like it was, it was just merely arresting. Like it, it, I, I didn't, I never thought that it was real. Mm -hmm. I feel like same. And now I'm like, wait, it is real. And it's in this movie. And it's so, like, it's just so wild that that was something that we all consumed when we were um, so young. And that it still, it's like the system we're living in is so violent that we still were like, no. How can this one thing push back against years of conditioning when you're so young Mm -hmm. and then more years of conditioning after you see the thing? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, that's why we need more fat representation. Totally, totally. (laughs) Hence my podcast. Yes. So, okay, I would classify myself... Not to get into the weeds, but I would classify myself as, like, a small fat person. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like my journey of, like, accepting that and, like, it just, like, not, like, being less of a big deal, but something I'm, like, delving into more as, like, a part of my identity, I guess, started at the very beginning of COVID because, like, my whole mm-hmm. life up till then was just, like, diet, not diet, diet, not diet, etc. And I'm yeah. wondering when your journey started, especially coming from a musical theater background, which is oh, just, yes. like, toxic waste swampland. Oh, what? what like, just tell me where it started and <laughs> where you are now. <laughs> I have a BFA in toxic waste swampland. Thank you. Um, so I will say that, like, for a lot of my musical theater career, I was not even really plus size. Like, I was... Mm-hmm you know, kind of borderline. I was a size 12 for a long time. I was a size 14 for a long time. I'm mm-hmm. now kind of a 16-ish. And in entertainment, I was never made to believe that was anything but fat. Like, mm-hmm. even when I was, even when I was like a size 10, it was, I was still playing the fat parts. So mm-hmm. I never had a concept of myself as not fat. And then I just got fatter. So like my self-concept matched the way that my body grew. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so fucking weird. Like b- growing up doing theater or in the entertainment industry at all, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is such a mind fuck because like you are treated like you are fat, unacceptably so. You are literally assigned all the fat tropes and characteristics mm-hmm. and roles that tell you something about what your body communicates. Even when I was not, you know, really fat or I was like midsize or just was like av- like like whatever you want to call that pocket, I still was le- the fattest of my peer group. Mm-hmm. And so I played the moms. Right. <laughs> but if you're asking like how did I come to the realization of like what it uh you know, fat fat liberation or mm-hmm body positivity or whatever like yeah. I read Shrill mm-hmm. um, after a clandestine <laughs> drive where I happened to turn on NPR uh, as because one there was does. nothing else good on the radio <laughs> NPR and is the I gateway heard, to Lindy West 100% yes, it, was, it was it was there's an episode of This American Life called Tell Me I'm Fat mm-hmm. which features Lindy West Roxanne Gay and a few others mm-hmm. and it's a fascinating episode totally holds up yeah. definitely go listen to it just google This American Life Tell Me I'm Fat yeah and anyway, so Lindy West was ta- was on it and was talking about her journey, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. And then I, I read Shrill. I had an ebook on my phone, so yeah. no one could see me reading it because I was like, 
<laughs> you don't like, want to so paranoid that yeah. anyone would see me consuming fat media and like would notice right. that I was fat or something. Yeah. Anyway, so I read recently I was reading Fearing the Black Body on the Boss and I was like, this is a step for me. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, I was like, OK, this is a solo show. Like, I got to make a show about this. And yeah. so I made my solo show more than Tracy Turnblad. And in that time, even though I was still dieting, I was like kind of getting deep into mm-hmm. like your fat friends work, Aubrey Gordon's work. Um, more Roxanne Gay, like all the fat activists that I was finding on Twitter and stuff. Yeah. COVID happened, podcast happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, I genuinely feel like we could talk for a really long time. So, <laughs> Abby, you're a star. Thank you for having joined me. And surely we will be speaking again soon. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been so cool to come on this podcast, which I actively love to listen to. (laughs) Gone me through several road trips. Yay. Good. That's what we like to hear. So, Kirk. Hello. Hi. You're back once again. Yes. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Of course. Biggest fan over here, obviously. It's a joy, truly, every single time we interact. So I'm so happy that you're here. And Audrey and I really wanted to talk with you about Hairspray um, because I have memories in the back of my mind of this show being a beloved show for you, but I'm not totally sure. When was the first time you saw Hairspray? And can you remember what your first impression or thoughts were? Okay, so it is a, it's very important to me. It's so, I love the movie and the musical both. Um, but specifically the movie version. So I moved to Solon, where we're both from, in mm-hmm. would have been the summer before. Oh my eighth, god! Right? So it was summer wait. 2007 because I yeah because yeah it would have been summer 2007. Literally same. Oh my god! I didn't know oh that. wait, wait, this is making me remember about the thing. Okay, okay, <laughs> we're gonna okay. get there. Full we're circle, gonna get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, we moved here to we moved, moved summer of 2007, and I remember being like. So not to, not to like gas myself up, but I was like pretty popular in my old school. And so to move towns in eighth grade, I was like, oh my God, I don't have any friends. I have no one to hang out with, no one to talk to. Like I'm miserable, like this like lonely boy. My neighbors on both sides were like, old, like either had really young kids or the lady on the other side was like rather old. She was very kind, but like no one I could hang out with. I didn't know anybody. So I spent that whole summer like in my room pretty much from sunup to sundown. And that summer mm-hmm. was the summer that they played the movie a bunch on MTV. I had to watch it at least 30 to 40 times. Um, wow. And I so I became obsessed with it. And like prior to the movie, I had a music director of a show when I was a kid who played me the soundtrack for the first time. He pl- he like would play Welcome to the 60s whenever he like drove me to rehearsal. And I remember that song being super important, but not being able to correlate mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the same thing until mm-hmm. much later. But also, the movie has Elijah Kelly and, like, that entire Black ensemble and Queen Latifah that I was like, oh, these people look like me and they're doing this, mm-hmm. like, thing that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that there could be other people, like, that there was space for me specifically in this g- genre mm-hmm. of, like, film. You saying that you moved at the same time as me just brought back a lot of <laughs> middle school. And I am wondering if you could recount our thing yes. with this because it doesn't even feel like it was you you know what I'm saying because yes, it was because so long ago it was so long ago and we were so different so <laughs> that year 
the spring cho- like choir concert, which is like a big, it's it's like a big deal. Every they every year they pick like fun songs for kids to sing. So it's no longer like choral arrangements, and it's like these like choral arrangements of like popular entities, right? So it's like that year though we did Hairspray as our like yeah. spring choir concert moment, <laughs> <laughs> and I had the solo for It Takes Two, which is actually cut from the movie and. Yeah. Kind of cut from the movie. And There's a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a little snippet. And yeah. Hannah, my dear Hannah, <laughs> was my dance partner for this whole thing. So we, yeah. But we were like also really far in the back because I had to do this walk down. <laughs> yeah. So we're so I had the very last part, and it's uh Hannah being my my partner, my <laughs> dance partner, had to follow behind me, and I like mm-hmm. twirled her into my arms and sang the very last like. Line, it takes two, baby, like to her. <laughs> and it was <laughs> so iconic. I, I am like sure that I have documentation of that somewhere. I'm going to find it. Yes. And I remember it being like excruciating because all I had to do was not look awkward, which I couldn't do. I was literally incapable of not looking like super uncomfortable. And uh, it was your moment. And I was like, why am I here? Like... <laughs> But I also remember you like not wanting to touch me. Like I would like, yeah, I would like go spin that. you around. And I was like, she's like nowhere near me, but I'm, I'm like trying yep. to make this moment happen. And mind yep. you, if you thought you were awkward, how do you think I felt? Like I was like, yeah, I don't know what's happening. Like, <laughs> yep. Not yeah. this closeted no. gay kid being like, I have to touch this girl now. Like what? Oh yeah. Oh, it was a moment. It was, a it was bad, but oh. I'm going to find it. So have you ever been in hairspray? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Tell me about it. I did it. Um, so it was actually the summer following my junior year of college. I had the most fun I have ever had. <laughs> I had such a blast. Um, but the show itself is such a moment, right? It's like this story of like racial diversity and like trying to create change. And earlier that summer I had done Rent and um, is a there's a similar energy in rant of like inclusivity and like everyone like wanting to be seen for who they are. But rent is darker, quote unquote darker than hairspray. Yeah. And so right. you like look at rent and it's a little aggressive and it kind of in your face about inclusivity and hairspray is a little bit like more subtle and a, there's like a little bit more of joy behind it. And so uh-huh. I spent that whole summer trying to figure out like what way will affect change greater. Have you witnessed personally any particularly stupid white people shit when it comes to hairspray like in your childhood in middle school and high school because I feel like there was like a moment where we would talk about doing hairspray like at our school and like obviously just say something if something's in your mind yeah so I have I have heard of like Hairspray being such a pivotal show about like race. It is like yeah. in its it is like in its DNA. It is a part of it. If you don't have the people to do the show, you can't do it. And we talked right. about doing it. At, they were like, because they would say all the time at in solo, like we would love to do the show, but we just don't have the numbers of the black ensemble to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Which there are other shows that we would do eventually that I was well, like. Well, this is what I'm saying. And I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. even as far back as like All Shook Up, All Shook Up is about race too, but we never mm. talk about that. Like, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. The whole premise is that like the wrong side of the tracks is the black ensemble. And then 
Oh, like Chad right. and the other people are. Like, Dude, I've only seen the white person version. Exactly. I've never seen anything else, it's, so I didn't know. Yeah, it's a, okay. It's also about that. So like, yeah, when it, okay. like the Dean and Lorraine, I think is the character's name, is like, that's like a, that's a race. They're like, we love each other, but we're, we're different. So we can't be together kind of thing. Uh-huh. Anyway. Uh-huh. Um, so yes, I have, right? But yeah. a neighboring town, and, um, and I don't know if she listens to the podcast, but she knows who I'm talking, like, you know who you are. Did a version of Hairspray where they colorblind cast the entire show. <laughs> right. Okay. So Link was a, played by a black guy as well as Siwi. Uh, so lines like, calm down, cracker boy. Yeah. No longer makes sense because he's okay. He's <laughs> right. Sure. Um, yes. But they did it fully committed, like, with their full chest, it was like, we're going to do this musical. And I was like, well, what is the point of that if you don't have, if we're, it's, we're going to lose the story. Or, like, I have seen other people do things like cast that I know where I've been soloist as a white girl. And you're like, oh, yes. Well. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> the night can't be as black as your skin. And so it's like a pretty common thing, I think, in middle America to forget mm-hmm. that at its core, the DNA of this musical is like, yes, there. it's just people trying to be included. And while mm-hmm. Tracy and her story of being a plus-size girl is super important, there's this secondary story that is like integration and how important it is and how how not too long ago that wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like it's a, this is like a fairly new thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've been there. Been there, done that, heard those things. Yeah. Kirk. I can't sit here and te- and act like I didn't 100% sing I Know Where I've Been for an audition when I was, like, 14. <laughs> and I changed the lyric. And I remember what I changed it to. And you know what? I deserved to flop, and I did. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I already said it on the main show with Audrey, but I need to look you in the eyes and tell you (laughs) that I've done that shit. And kind of the worst part, or no, 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 not the worst part, but the, at least the context for it. It does not excuse it, but when you're like 14 and you know, like three alto songs, that's what, that's 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 why it happened. And no one educates you. No. Until you look back at it and you're like, oh. And we were, it was a different time. We, you know, I can honor that we were different people. But it happened. <laughs> it did. It happened. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. live, we learn, we are better people yes. because of it. We live, we laugh, we love, and we carry on. <laughs> okay. So you just watched the movie again, right? Yeah. At least partially. Yes, I like. Okay. So did anything in particular jump out to you upon, upon this viewing? Yeah, I took notes. Okay, tell me your thoughts. Okay. Oh, okay. So an issue that I have with the show that I didn't Uh realize is that we never, as in the people in the movie itself, never realize that Tracy takes Seaweed's dance. Yes, we talked about that. And that's what puts her on the show. We never, Mm -hmm. she never gets to say on live television. And maybe she means to, but it doesn't happen in the musical either. Where she says like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, this is my friend Seaweeds and he's on Negro Day. Like that Mm -hmm. never happens, which is a little bit of a letdown. Um, Mm -hmm. And I couldn't remember, I didn't get to the very end of it. I couldn't remember. Does, do they crown Tracy as the winner? They crown Lil Inez. Okay, but in the musical. What happens in in the the musical? musical, Tracy wins. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Tracy still wins. And then after the fact, Little Inez dances on the show. No, 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 yeah. no. So yeah, Tracy wins and Tracy's like, what she decides we're going to do is make Negro Day every day instead of letting Little Inez win. Okay. Which I like more. Well, another thing that's interesting too and that Audrey and I were talking about is that, so the whole time uh, Link is like, I can't, like, I can't be the one who, like, makes integration happen on this show, basically. And, and but then, at the end, when, um, it's like, I think before Inez has announced the winner, yeah, she just goes on stage, or Link pulls her up and is the first person to, like, make it an integrated thing. And I'm like, of course it's him yeah. who, get, who does that. Like, it actually makes sense if you think about yes. it. But it's annoying. It's annoying so. because you want it, well, especially in 2021, we are yeah. so about, like, women getting to do the thing and not having mm-hmm. to be subservient to a man. And that's what it feels like, right? It feels yeah. like Tracy was just this, like, mere person that allowed Link to shine and be like, no, you're going to be the person, rather than, like, letting Tracy be the girl to be like, no, 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 you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Seven, eight. Yeah. Would have been, in 2021, if this movie got redone <laughs> in 2021, Tracy would be the person making that that moment happened yeah. and not and not link they would allow link to just kind of be the like pretty like witness yeah like the yeah. pretty like co-star and let tracy be full mm-hmm. full on the lead no questions asked about it yeah 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 but it does make sense that he because he was so against it and so for him to be like no i can do it is so important yeah okay what else do you got the new girl in town which is like a bop like yes we talk about that song a lot is a bop so yeah in, it is actually underscoring in the musical, mm-hmm. but you there are no words to it. Like, we never hear the song. It's just, oh. like, under a scene that happens. Yeah. And they wrote, work, like, lyrics for the movie. And this mm-hmm. idea, I hadn't thought about this until I was watching it today. This idea that the black girl, it's the black girl song and that the white girl yeah. sing it, is, like, this commentation on, like, this happens, this has yeah. been this has been happening like black people do something and then white people take it and call it theirs and like and that's what the world gets to see first and they say it without it being like a full on in your face aggressive fight it's just mm-hmm. like Queen Latifah just has the line like the girls wrote it yeah like, period and then all of us yeah. and you just like at at uh thirteen fourteen I didn't realize what how important that was but at mm-hmm. twenty seven I was like oh fuck like. Yeah, the girls should get to do yeah. it because it's theirs. Like, how dare they? Yeah. It's, like, such yeah. a cool moment. You have, you have, like, the human watching the movie has to decide, like, oh, that's, why was that bad? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You have to do the digging. You have, that. Right. And that's what I love about this musical and movie in general is none of it, all, there are so many things that, the, that they clearly want you to learn, but mm-hmm. it's never just, like, pushed at you. You have to go back and be like, what did I learn from that? Why why did I feel this way when I saw this moment in comparison to this? And like you have yeah. to do the research. It's about you coming to the answer to be like, oh, okay, and this is how I can stop being bad. Or like this is how I can like create change in the same way that they all do. Okay, okay, cool. So my last things, the things that we always ask are, first of all, what's your favorite song okay. in the show? Oh, it's a tie, but, like, if I had to pick Gun to My Head, um, it would be Welcome to the 60s. Okay. Um, be, For, like, a myriad of reasons. First of all, I think it's just, it's so fun and, like, 
bubbly and like what I love about musical theater is like the way it can make you feel some like it can make you feel it can make you feel energy right yeah. like and the energy that has to happen in that number like explodes but like I was saying I um did a show when I was a lot younger and my music director had to pick me up and director had to pick me up from my elementary school to take me to the middle school to be a part of the show Mm -hmm. Uh, because I was like the youngest person cast and he was like we rehearse right after school but we'll push back rehearsal time so that we can get you to come to rehearsal on time wow I was a star honey Uh Um, so yeah so he would pick me up from my elementary school and drive me and we only had time for one song from one from one school to the other and he would play welcome to the 60s pretty much every day yeah. Um, and it was like, I was like, I love this song. It's so fun. Like, yeah. Yeah, it made me so happy. And one day he played Run and Tell That instead for me. And I was, mind you, I was like eight or nine. And yeah. I have distinct memory of being like, that's a fine song. But like, I would rather <laughs> listen to Welcome to the 60s. Like, it's the better song. Yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. like, Kirk, but you will someday probably sing this song so like don't you like it and I was like I mean whatever like it's fine but like tomorrow (laughs) we should play Welcome to the 60s instead because it's a great song and like fast forward to me doing the show and he got to see me in it and like where I where he sat was like I like would I like walked out for Welcome to the 60s and was like on that side of the stage so he got Uh to like watch me sing this song like full out and like I was emotional and that's this is that's the last show he saw me in before he passed and so, oh, wow. like, it was, I, like, looked back on it and was, like, I'm so honored that you got uh-huh. to see me have this moment and see me, like, be in the ensemble and sing this song and, like, wave my, like, measuring tape around and be, like, <laughs> just the gayest person on the planet and my super cute, like, pink costume. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, Welcome to the 60s will always be, like, very, Aww. very, very, very important to me. Um, That's so cute. Yeah, it's, it'll, it'll I love always be the most important thing. But also, I know where I've been as a fucking stan, and like nothing yes. is cooler than being able to stand on stage with people who look like you mm-hmm. and kind of like sing this song to like a room of white people and be like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't understand the struggle always, but like this is this is the struggle at its core and like I hope this song changes you and I hope the next time you do something that's wrong, like you know that like you remember this moment of like watching these people like sing a song at you. So, okay. So, what's your least favorite song? You're timeless to me because it's fucking terrible. <laughs> why? Why? Because I feel then, like that uh, moment is always like. I think it's funnier when it's not great. You also have to remember that like Harvey Firestein is the original vocalist on that. Yeah. And so, there's no singing being done. It's like just right. heavy being heavy. You know. It's yeah, like not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not the same. So you need it to like. You have, That's a good point. Yeah, you have to like lose. It has to lose its like style and grace, glossiness. Yeah, exactly. And but the choreography mm-hmm. being glossy is what's cool about it. I agree, but yeah. it's a bad song. Your personal favorite line to sing. <sighs> All right, so this is gonna be a lot. I'm gonna try to make this as simple as possible. <laughs> okay. But in Welcome to the '60s, there's the playoff that happens. That so in the in the musical and kind of in the movie, but they kind of cut it. There's we have to like change the scenes and. Edna is singing like, your mama's lit, lit, she's all aglow, mama, the na-na-na-na, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. there's a, like a riff moment that happens is, your mama, your mama, your mama, your mama, your mama, is my favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that like all the time to people and people yeah. don't know what I'm saying. And I'm I like, know what it is, yeah. You're sad because it's the best <laughs> moment in the whole show. 
It's so good. It is good. I didn't realize that that's what she's saying. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mama, your mama, your mama, your mama, mama. Okay. So favorite movie choreo. It's a tie between Welcome to the 60s or You Can't Stop the Beat because they, it is like a full, I mean, it's a full moment. It's like a. It's a production yeah. number. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah. we're getting all of the things you could ever want from a production number. But, and the people are dancing their faces off. Yeah. I'm like, I can't imagine how many takes they had to do, but they are mm-hmm. in it. And there is no, there's not a wink link. Like all of those ensemble members are serving. Yes. And like in the musical, like when you, when you're doing it, it's hard. You like get to the mm-hmm. end and you're like out of breath. Just like trying to woof out notes and be like, like, please, I'm just shouting by the end of it. There's a lot of like jumping for no one, like for ungodly reasons. But in the movie, they're, you know, they're tracked, probably they're tracked and lip singing. So they get to just kind of like breathe. Yeah. And so they're dancing their faces off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You heard from our guests. It's a finale episode, so we gotta have the extra people. We gotta get like the final explosion of fireworks sensation going on. We're back and it is time for us to talk about 2007's hairspray. So there's lots of good things, lots of bad things, lots of interesting things to talk about. So, first of all, should we start with the good things? Sure. So, I mean, there's a lot more. I have hardly anything negative to say. And that's just how it has to be. I'm not going to pull stuff out of my ass for this. Like, it's just, I'm going to be honest. Um, I have a couple things that were genuine. Yeah, I have a few, but I, I don't have that many. Um, All right. So just really understanding and appreciating how much of a perfect casting Nikki Blonsky was. like Just perfect. It's just... It's amazing. And like they did a whole nationwide search and they it kind of similar to like Annie where they saw just mm-hmm. thousands of people and like were totally willing to pluck from obscurity, which is like usually a great move. Um, yes. And um, I want James Marsden in more musicals. And shout out to Brenda in The Nicest Kids in Town. <laughs> Um, yes. you know, when they do the call off, they're like, Maureen, Doreen, Nin, you know, that whole thing. Our cousin Julia uh-huh. p- played Brenda in their dance school's <laughs> rendition of Nicest Kids in Town. Um, and so every time I hear the song, I always go, Brenda, because that's what we would do. <laughs> When I heard Brenda, I was like, why am I thinking about Julia? And I couldn't place why, but there it is. That's why. why. Um, (laughs) And then on like the the, the film side. Oh, yeah. Also, I really loved the the line. um, Tell me I get a free caftan. (laughs) That's a great line. (laughs) Yes. Um, But yeah, on the film side of things. I was appreciating, and I always bring this up for every musical that we do now, is like, how is it being adapted from stage to screen? And are they using the medium 
um, in a in a way that makes sense for the show and also enhances the content that's there. So I feel mm-hmm. like when I when I was watching, I can hear the bells. I felt oh, like yes. that was a good example um, because ev- ev- pretty much every line in that song has a, a its own setting and its own mini mm-hmm. sequence. It has mm-hmm. like musicality and it has a story and that story is not something you could tell on stage. So they're really thinking about how they can enhance the song using the film, They using the medium of film. They didn't have her start at the beginning of the hallway and track dolly track her down to the other end of the hallway in one song that's what christopher columbus would do for rent and that's yeah that's not what we're doing like it's they're using film language to enhance every song and that is what i love to see yes and I want to chime in about that exact number two. I agree with everything you said. And there was one specific part that I thought was really, really funny in a way I hadn't noticed before, which was the sequence of um, her looking through the bathroom window into the boys' room. Yeah. And she's like, Link and I are French kissing. And he like licks his hand and then like sees her in the window and she like sinks back down. It was just really funny. I was like, yeah, wow, this is so clever and well thought out. I love that part. Yeah, it's like a comedy number. Yes. Um, And then I also was appreciating this time around how basically Hairspray, and we'll talk about this later, but Hairspray can be seen as one huge example of what cultural appropriation is. Mm-hmm. Because like, and there's like tiny examples of it. And then there's the whole story. Like the story as a whole could also be seen that way. But when yes. Nikki, um, when Tracy, not Nikki, when <laughs> Tracy goes to detention and learns um, the dance move, like Peyton Place. Yeah. She, she learns it and like they're having a good time. And then when they're at the dance thing and Zac Efron is singing Lady's Choice, Nikki goes over to um, Seaweed and is like, we should do your dance. And he's like, I can't do my dance because we're we're segregated, but you do it. Right. And th- that is what gets her onto the Corny Collins show. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's just a great, a great literal example of it. If, if there's like white people out there who are not understanding, you know, and th- we see this all the time with like TikTok. Yeah. Um, and dance, like specifically with dance, there will be mm-hmm. black creators who make choreo- and choreograph dances that become viral. And then like Charlie D'Amelio does it. And then it actually is like claimed as a dance, you know? Right. And they'll, they'll give dance, um, credit to whoever it is, but it's just not the same thing. And like, there's a lot of like racism within the TikTok algorithm, which I've, I've seen a video, I've seen videos about and noticed myself, but I feel like it is, I don't know why I just started talking about that, but um, (laughs) it's just a good example of how racism continues to morph with technology. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Also, (laughs) 
Also, I think a really good example of the appropriation thing. So I wrote this down as a cultural reset for our lives because I know that it was. But the new girl in town sequence where it's the white girls and then it snaps to the black girls and they're just like killing (laughs) it. So much better. Like, they're just so much better. And it's, like, funny because they're doing the exact same thing, but one is just so much better. Um, And then you find out that they wrote the song and that it was, like, controversial that both the groups sang it on the same show. Also very efficient storytelling, I have to say. Yeah. Um, My... Other good things were all just, well, one of them is that the production design of the movie is really consistent and really pleasing. I really love that about it. And... All the casting makes me extremely happy. And there were there was a moment, I think during Without Love, that I was like almost crying because it's just such a joyful movie. Yeah. You're just like, this is this is giving me brain chemicals rarely obtained naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate hairspray for that very thing. But for bad things, I also had two more good things that I forgot. The first one is I love Edna. She's she's not John Travolta to me. I love her so much. I love her performance. One of my favorite parts of the movie. And then also, I just really, really, really loved the line that Link says when he says, I can't believe she savagely bludgeoned an Eagle Scout. That made me laugh out loud. Yeah. No, he's funny. He's funny in this. I know. He is. It's because there's like actual cleverness to the lines in this movie. Okay, I just have two small bad things really fast, which is um, that I felt like Mrs. Von Tussle's reminiscing about the pageant like didn't really make a lot of sense where it was. Like it felt kind of shoehorned in. Mm -hmm. Like that felt like kind of a bad adaptational moment, but I can forgive it. And it's actually shortened. I mean, I believe that it's shortened, but just it was a weird place for it to be for me. But like they like they shot more like it's a deleted scene. There's more to it. Yes. I also saw that earlier Mm -hmm. today. And then I also just really hated conceptually that Link was the first one who dances, who like does an integrated dance on the TV show. I was like, after all of this, he's going to be the one to do it first. But then at the same time, I'm like, of course, it's like the hot white guy who has to do it first. So they like, like they won't stop him. That's just like another good uh, like example. Yeah. Yes, totally. And like, is that us reading into it? Kind of, but also it totally makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. Is it us reading into it the way that YouTube commenter who said that we read too much <laughs> into the things we're not supposed to read into uh, intended? Yes. Any other bad things for you? Um, I mean, there's just some vocals that are really pretty dang bad, if we're being honest. Um, na- namely, John Travolta and Christopher Walken together. Oh, my God. I was shook at how bad They're they were. like not okay it's not acceptable honestly that's my least favorite song (laughs) the whole show I knew it would be your least favorite song but I like it it's just not giving (laughs) it's just not I know it (laughs) I know it's not giving but I still like it well I'll let you have that um thank you and then yeah poor like Amanda Bynes great casting but the vocals are shrill they are they're sounding very constructed and yeah so just amateur vocals but the casting is so great I can like forgive it it's not the worst thing ever 
Um, and they casted yes. Nikki Blonsky, who really can sing. And that was great. Totally. I uh, was really surprised at how nasty Mrs. Von Tussle is. She's way more racist than I remember. Oh, I, it was exactly how I remembered it. <laughs> like 100%. It was worse, like, just the actual, like, insults were, like, more clever and evil than I remembered. I also thought that it was just kind of uh, funny that, not funny, I mean, again, this is me doing the thing that we do on this show, but that, like, Tracy escalated the protest by whacking the cop because she doesn't know not to do that, and then she runs away, and then all the black people get arrested. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that that was going to be my main thing uh too like that's my essentially my main point is like welcome to two hours of Tracy Turnblad making things way worse (laughs) as far as like her being ignorant in a way that causes problems (laughs) protesting doing all that her intentions are so good but she's too ignorant in this world to to know how to operate and she but she's also so bold that she won't just let other people lead, you know, let, let Motormouth Maybell lead. So. Right. Part of what makes the, um, John Travolta Edna portrayal so weird is that like, so Hairspray is a feel good movie and you're supposed to, like, you're supposed to forget that it's John Travolta being Edna and like, I choose to see it that way. But it's like, if the whole movie is about accepting her as like a different sort of person and it's also obviously very like queer coded, Clearly, that's like the whole point. But then at the same time, it's like we all know that's a straight John Travolta in a fat suit. Yeah. Like not playing it for a punchline, but like very easily could have played it as a punchline. It's like, you know, it's like it's hard because with John Waters, it was like subversive, but not trying to be like earnest and heartfelt at the same time. Whereas this version is trying to do both. And it's like being fat or being weird in like when it comes to Tracy and her mom, like is a punchline kind of often in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I feel like they don't make race a punchline, at least not as much. And it, and from my point of view, which obviously is very specific, I don't see it as much. Um, but I guess if you think about it, that can be tonally a little confusing. But honestly, it's just bubblegum. And I love it for that because it is so joyful and the songs really are so good. And the ability to make such serious topics bubblegum and so joyful is just something that does not exist, like, anywhere else. Right. Like, there, what other yes. content is there? What other, like, the, this is, like, a very um, singular piece of art in that way. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. And the whole thing about it is that like the ending statement of the musical version is that like progress is happening no matter how much you try to stop it. Like then the natural way of the world is progress. Like the like the arc of time bends toward justice or whatever the quote is Mm -hmm. Um, that is like a really nice sentiment to buy into and even though it's like okay look at the events of the past two years now it's like things are better but they're not done so it's weird to be like oh this was the 60s like they 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 placed this in the 60s and they're saying it and a lot of change but a lot hasn't changed but it's nice to buy into the sentiment 
that Hairspray is dishing you, which is just very inclusive and positive. Mm -hmm. And you could, like, if you wanted to view that with a cynical eye and it's like, oh, they're just like, they're like can't like feeding children candy and it's like not real and it's not representative of any truth. Um, I think it's a little bit harder to take that stance with this movie. Um, mm. I don't know why. I don't know if I can verbalize it well right now, but just something about mm-hmm. um, the underdog story. It, it just... It's it. I mean, it's not like they're not talking about the issue. It's just what we need. They are literally talking yeah. about the issue in a way that is just hard to not enjoy. I don't know what to. I don't even know how to say it. What I like about okay. hairspray is that they are naming the problem. Like they're not beating around the bush. Like this is about race, straight up. Yes. So let's real fast, Audrey talk about our favorite lines to sing, favorite song, etc. Okay, so best song for me is a th- is a tie between Without Love and um The New Girl in Town, whatever that song is called. I think that's what it's called. The New Girl in Town. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then as I said, my least favorite song is You're Timeless to Me. <laughs> um my favorite Sad. choreography is the part in um what's that song called that seaweed sings the solo run and tell that yeah run and tell that um the part where Taylor who plays little Inez is dancing in front of the fence that is my favorite yes. choreography because I I was like how would I even pick my favorite choreography other than you know nicest kids in town you think of the iconic moments but yeah the uh, of the you know moments in the music where you wouldn't necessarily think the choreography would be amazing, it was. So I I really remember that part. And her vocal is insane. I also thought that her choreography there was so much better than her choreography when she's actually on the Corny Collins show at the end. it is better. It's like way cooler. (laughs) I was like, what's happening? My favorite line to sing specifically is, well, there's a lot, but I like going... (laughs) She was a new girl in town. That specifically. Also, just singing Good Morning Baltimore is like the most satisfying experience ever. Favorite song without love. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But also, I really like Big Blonde and Beautiful for obvious reasons. So fun to sing also. Really good lyrics. There's underratedly very clever lyrics in this in this movie um like when they're talking in the nicest kids in town they're like you won't get into college but you'll still look cool don't know a verb from a noun they're the nicest kids in town I thought that was really funny yeah um (laughs) and my least favorite song is Miss Baltimore Crabs I just don't like it that much and I don't think her voice is that good yeah that too yeah and I can't speak to the choreo because my brain does not process choreo yeah but I, oh, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. My favorite part is that weird move that Corny Collins does when he's standing on that platform and it's like with his elbows oh, yeah. and it's also during the nicest kids in town. I, I could do that. I love that dance move. I, I literally could not do that. Like you would have to teach me how to do it. I cannot <laughs> comprehend how that works. Yeah, that one. Like I really can't. That one really sticks in my mind too. Like I can remember as a kid, like 
being like, let me do that move right now. Like, let me, let me. Yeah, it's a good move. It really is. <laughs> Audrey, I guess this is the end of season three. Can you believe that? That's so weird. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like we didn't even address it until now and it's the end, but. I think because we're yeah. coming back so soon and we're we're going to be selling merch and like there's just so much on the horizon. Yes. Like this isn't like a sad thing. <laughs> like it's just No, it's not sad. This is just like see you in a second. Yeah. Um we will continue doing musicals as we did not do all of them, but we will sprinkle them throughout. Yeah. It will not just be straight musicals when we come back. Right. Um, There's far too much left uncovered in the in the non-musical totally. category. We will be back so soon. And this season's been really fun. And I feel like we've really grown this season, which is really cool. So thank you to each and every one of you who has left us a review, showed an episode to a friend, found us on TikTok, and then followed us all the way here. It really means so much to know there are people out there listening and who look forward to the episodes every week because... We really do enjoy recording the show, even if technology does its best to stop us. (laughs) Yeah. You know, perhaps we were lucky enough to be able to record like five episodes in a row together. And that was awesome. So hopefully we'll have more of that next season. We will be together like over the holidays and stuff. So I'm sure we'll be able to pull that off. Yes. Okay. Well, until next time, we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search sleepover cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at twopingpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema and that's really where the party is at. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon. Bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.